You are listening to the Paranormal Chronicles radio show. Here is your host, paranormal researcher and author of the best-selling A Most Haunted House, Gavin Lee Davis. Welcome, my name is G.L. Davis, author of the international number one best-selling haunted horror of Haverford West and founder of theparanormalchronicles.com. Welcome to our Bigfoot episode in our ongoing journey exploring all things supernatural and spiritual. Our series is brought to you by sick-books.com and sick-books is your first stop for all your reading on the paranormal, the spiritual and the unexplained. This month, sickfifeandbooks.com's featured books are The Foreseeable Future by Gary Williams, which explores the phenomena of foresight and prophecy, and Evolutionary Metaphors by David J. Moore, as he unearths some stunning new research into the UFO enigma. Visit www.sickfifeandbooks.com for more info. Make sure all our listeners press follow for this podcast for your chance to win some cool paranormal books and our monthly followers giveaway. It's easy to enter, press follow, and each month you could win a book just for listening and following. How easy is that? Enjoy our previous episodes as we present content on ancient human spacefaring research, UFO sightings, ghost accounts, and so much more on tonight's show. Does the Bigfoot creature exist? Are they dangerous? What do they really look like? And can humans live with this enigmatic creature? In 2014, I was honoured to be invited by former law enforcement officer and paranormal broadcaster Dave Dominguez from El Paso, Texas, as he interviewed a man that has not only seen Bigfoot, heard Bigfoot, but interacted with the Bigfoot on numerous occasions. The witness, Keith Bearden, would go on to write an incredible, critically acclaimed book called Forest Friends of the Night, which was an in-depth insight to his day-to-day interaction with a Bigfoot that lived in and around his land. His book was simply one of the best books I had read on the subject. So, here on this episode, you can listen to that full, hour-long, incredible, in-depth interview as he describes the most amazing Bigfoot evidence you may ever hear. If you have a story, theory or experience you'd like to share, then message us on Facebook or Instagram at The Paranormal Chronicles, on Twitter at Paracron, or email us at paranormalchronicles at aol.com. On with the show. Thank you very much for joining us on the Paranormal Chronicles Radio Network with Keith. We have Keith Bearden on, the author of, of course, uh, Forest Friends of the Night, My True Story of the Discovery of the Bigfoot People. Welcome aboard, Keith. Good to have you. Thank you. Good to be here, guys. Well, it all happened by accident, or maybe not accident. I uh, it all happened when I uh, I was hunting. I have a family tract of land that I hunt on here in Georgia, in the United States, and we uh, we began having some really weird things start happening. We would have weird howls at night that I couldn't explain away. Um, you know, I, I was born and raised here, hunted. Since I was a little bitty guy, you know, six or seven years old with my dad. So I'm very familiar with all the, the creatures here, you know, all the animals that, you know, that I've grown up hearing. And we started hearing things that I'd never, ever heard before. It was a very loud, piercing screams that would start out very low and get higher and higher. Heard those at night several times. We heard some things in the daytime. But the odd things were the camper shaking at night. That happened to my mom and dad. They were down there and sleeping in a truck camper and it began to shake back and forth. Finding 
trees broke over that were like eight or nine inches in diameter. So you're finding, finding those things broke over around the eight or 10 foot mark and there was no wind or anything. It would just happen overnight. Uh, all of this kind of progressed with odd things happening from time to time until I found a track. When I found the footprint track, that's when it all hit me and I was blown away. That changed my life. From that day forward, I began to go onto the internet and look at anything and read every book I could find to find out if this is what I had on our property. And as it turned out, all the criteria that I was that I was reading about matched exactly what was going on on my property. So that's kind of how it started. And then, of course, I reached out to a group that I'd found on the internet called the BFRO. And the BFRO, Bigfoot uh, researchers organization group um, sent out a lady uh, and we uh, met for coffee in a town close by and explained some things to me and I had a lot of questions but she came out with her night vision she actually was employed by the uh, United States Army stationed at Fort Benning in, in Georgia here uh, she was enlisted for a while and then she um, she after she got out she continued as a civilian worker there in the office but she came out brought night vision goggles and we did a couple walks around the property at night and she, we heard some things she showed me some really cool structures tp type structures in the woods and some more things that really started to open my eyes what was going on and from that moment on <clears throat> i've been researching talking to as many people as i can possibly talk to and that's kind of where it all started oh, okay so you all went and you did this um like investigation with the night vision and everything she was from the bfro yes so, so did you all get any video or did you record anything? Did you? No. What no, did you we, all didn't, see? we didn't see anything with the night vision at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't record anything, but, you know, she brought it all out anyway. Okay. But what we did find was she pointed out to me <clears throat> a very cool structure, I would I would call it. It was mm-hmm. shaped like a teepee, and I'd, I'd walk by this thing half a dozen times in the past uh, and I would notice that there would be like sticks added to it yeah. and I didn't have any idea what it was it was kind of strange looking but you know I had no idea what it was until she showed me uh, the trail that ran parallel to it and then when I put some focus on going back down there and keeping mm-hmm. an eye on I put a game camera up uh, not too far from the structure and that's actually where we found our footprint and I did get an odd uh, photo the very night that I got the footprint but but whatever was close to the camera was so close that it widened it out. Oh, okay. uh, so I didn't get a clear shot, but the camera was located about five, five and a half foot up, aiming mm-hmm. down toward a creek. It had to have been extremely close because the tree was right on the, the creek bank. Mm-hmm. If it was walking in that creek and it walked in front of that camera, it had to been extremely high to block out that block out that camera. How big is this structure that you all discovered? It was about uh, seven foot high. Around the base was probably eight foot. Okay. Like I said, the sticks were stacked up like a teepee structure. And what I what I also noticed when I found it was when we found the the, the track. The next day, I went back down there to the to the track again and took some more photos. But there was tons of deer hair all around the bottom of that teepee structure. I mean, it was like pulled out and just laid on the ground. I, you know. Uh, anybody that's been hunting a lot, if you run across a predator, oh. you know, you'll find a hare and, and this, that, and the other. But yeah. if there was no deer, it was just uh, like where one had, had gotten uh, caught or damaged. Yeah. And I kind of was thinking, well, maybe they caught that deer there, which ends up being part of what happened because there was a situation that came up about a year after that where I heard a deer get caught, killed. 
and it was killed in that area. And I was a couple of hills over, and I got to see. Uh, I found the deer with a broken neck, and I saw flashes of uh, of black uh, going through the woods when I topped the hill. The yeah. deer was still kind of moving around a bit. I just you know barely, and I I went over and and looked at it, and it was you know it was dead by the time I got there. But there mm-hmm. was an awful crashing going through the trees from this deer and whatever it was, uh, you know, was running away. Now, my first thought, my first impression, it was a poacher there yeah. with a bow and arrow or something because there was no sound except for the deer screaming. But when I got to the deer and I turned it over and looked, there was no wounds whatsoever. The deers had a snap back. Yeah. Uh, I got a photo of that, too. It's, it's, oh, wow. it's pretty. But uh, then I got to thinking about that, what that was going through the woods running. And mm-hmm. again, um, I began keeping a journal when I found the track. So I just started adding all these strange things to my journal I, I called my son over we took a look at the deer took some photos i wrote it all down i didn't touch the deer we left it there i went back the next day the deer was completely gone there was nothing there there was mm-hmm. there was not drag marks in the leaves it was whatever picked up and taken away yes whatever got this deer picked it up and it away mm-hmm. it was right so you reckon you stumbled across a, a bigfoot hunting or making a kill yeah you yes know, I, and, and scared think, him off yeah, and you didn't have time to take it that because and, and where this occurred was just a little bit away from the teepee structure but with me being hunting on my life it was a pinch point or a, a funnel area where there was a large hill on one side a large hill on the other this was a, a trail that ran along the level part of the uh, property dip down along a creek bottom and it was the perfect area for deer to funnel in and out going into their feeding and bedding areas my my thought was they're using this teepee structure somehow to as a blind run the deer butt you know beside the blind and then one would do that and one would grab the deer or whatever on the other side Uh, that was what i was thinking but you know again i'm just trying to vision of what's going on you'd have to be a pretty powerful creature to pick up a deer and snap its back i don't think i I don't know if any human that could really do that. No, no, it was, uh, it was, it was a, a yearling spike. It wasn't a huge deer, but there's no mm-hmm. way I, and I definitely couldn't have snapped a snake like that. You know, even as even a yearling, you know, they're pretty oh, fast. Yeah. And right. pretty strong. They can, they can hurt. They can hurt you. Even that's then. that's right. So, and, so yeah. and this is on your property, right, Keith? And this is yes, on. And, and how, how big is your property? Give well, the property is only four hundred and fifty acres, but okay. it's surrounded. Size. It's surrounded by thousands of acres all the mm-hmm. way around. The thing about our property is you can't get in there. We have a gate. It's gated. First of all, you have to have a key to get in the gate. Okay. Uh, there's no way to get in it from uh, any other access except for a road that drives through the woods about a mile and a half. And so we're very aware of anyone that's going in and out has to uh, have a key. And we were down there for probably. I'm thinking we were there for like two days and we were there to hunt for like four days and this was halfway through our hunt when all this happened and we know there was nobody on our property you know we've had that land for 30 some odd years we have never had anyone get onto our property like that mm-hmm. you know never had an issue so, uh, so yeah, all these are just a recent occurrences that they haven't happened before uh, like that this all started around 2009 2010 okay uh, yeah there was one time uh, my dad had shot a deer and we were tracking it at night with lantern and my cousin and i was walking through the woods and uh, we would walk and we would hear something walking beside us and i would look at him and he's like what is that over there and i'm like i don't know unless it's a coyote but it sounded like it was on two legs you know you can tell a bipedal foot sounds false so as we walked it would walk 
we would stop it would stop and this happened uh until we found the deer we got the deer we pulled it out and uh and went back to camp but those are the some of the things that would happen and then we started uh some of our other hunters the guys that hunted with us uh mostly family came back to camp this one day and, and they were all excited and said there's a gorilla or a monkey on this property and i'm like yeah, he says, well, we heard these sounds that sounded just like an ape or just like a gorilla in the zoo, really. And he's like, yeah. And we had several people hear that. My dad heard it. My, uh, my little niece, who was only eight years old, she was out mm-hmm. there. She, so there were several people reporting this, too. And it just, it, all of this kind of, like, escalated into things happening around our camp at night. Like I said, my mom and dad were down there sleeping in a truck camper. And they were, you know, fast asleep. And all of a sudden, the, the truck starts shaking violently. Uh, my mom wakes up, and she's trying to wake mm-hmm. my dad up. They have a little dog they had in there, and it started barking and raising kind of came so uh she was scared wanted my dad to go out and look around and he uh he was so asleep he wouldn't get up and by the time he woke up whatever it was was gone he opened the back of the tailgate but i think he was a little afraid to look out yeah mom gave but you know that happened all the way up until uh my son was uh actually one night down with my parents again he was camping with them i was uh, i was on a trip to texas and he was out and they had heard a lot of coyotes around camp and he had taken his gun because we try to keep the coyotes you know from coming into our camp this little little dog and we didn't want you know the little dog to get attacked or whatever so he took a gun and walked around the uh, corner from the campfire standing there and some, something runs at him through the trees and it's so big that it's pushing over eight nine ten foot tall pine trees like grass yeah. and it's running yeah. toward him breaking sticks mm-hmm. and making a lot of noise and it scares him so bad he just turns and runs he don't pull his gun up or anything he got in the camper locked the door and it he said he was so the terror that he felt inside was so great that he couldn't even speak for a couple of minutes. Mom commented, and he's 15 years old at the time, so mm-hmm. whatever it was, it scared him so bad that he it took him five or ten minutes to settle down to where he could even talk. Yeah, so, you know, that happened. And then, you know, I, and I'm pretty big into the research part by now, and I'm, I'm mm-hmm. and that track, I realized that we have these things on our property. I began to get a little afraid of, of him being down there in the woods hunting and for us and my mom and dad, I'm like, because I don't know what they're going to do. You know, I'm, I'm just learning about them. So at the end of that particular deer season, we ended up, after I had to land for so long, we ended up finding another track closer to home. I was a little mm-hmm. afraid down there again so we found a tract of land that was uh it was another 500 acres but it was a hunting club we joined it it was about half the drive uh and when we got down there i looked around to make sure there was no signs of these are tps i looked for tracks because i didn't want to be where they were Uh, i was really afraid for for you know myself but my more so for my uh, son once we found this particular tract of land everything Mm -hmm. was good about a year. So, so there weren't any footprints around the the camp or anything the next morning. They didn't. Uh, or they, we never you know? found a footprint around camp. Uh-huh. Never. No, we we wouldn't. When we were around the campfire, we would have them walk walking, and you could hear them walking mm-hmm. around outside the firelight, just far enough out to where you couldn't hear. And there, and I've learned since then they're extremely careful about leaving footprints. They're very familiar with what they're doing. They yeah. try to. You know, try not to. As a matter of fact, when my son and I were trying to find out what was going on and we were you know, trying to find tracks or whatever, uh, we walked a stream that ran through the middle of the property and found that uh, we think they were using that creek and that stream and trying to stay on the rocks as much as possible uh, to mm-hmm. prevent leaving a footprint. So 
And I found, you know, I found a couple more tracks while we were there. There was one, the creek was about 12 foot wide from bank to bank on this one section. There was one in the bottom uh, halfway through the creek. It's like stepped off the bank, stepped in the creek and stepped up on the other bank, which was a 12 foot span uh, and never left another track. So again, I got photos of those and uh, it all goes into my journal, but now, this was only the beginning. Things got much, much. This was around around two thousand, and, and and that's when he that's when he found this structure. So you think maybe you know a, a Bigfoot came and decided you know that's going to be part of my territory and erected the structure, and now you're seeing activity. Well, actually, I think they had been there all along because you know we began talking about it. My dad, my myself, about all the strange things we had heard along through the years and screams that would hear. You know, we heard these screams and. I'll tell you that the the one sounded like a cow when it started, and then it got so loud it was it was like extremely loud. It would shake your insides when. Wow. Uh, but it'd start out low and it would rise and pitch until uh, it ended up into a scream that sounded, you know, very uh very scary. Yeah. So it wasn't a human scream. It was more of. A- uh, Whatever made this scream yeah. was had a large set of lungs. It was extremely loud, and, and even when they were at a far off distance, I mean, we had some screaming close, but you could hear them, and it would just echo through the night. They were re- they were really loud. So, so, so you think it was just one animal, or was several of them screaming? There was, you think there were several. There's several. been several times we were sitting around camp, and they would be screaming on one end of the property, and then screaming somewhere else, and then you know we heard several back and forth. Maybe they were communicating with each other. That's what I think now. Yes, yeah. yes, sir. Them hitting the side of trees, knocking, and anything like that. Yes, I hear that quite a bit. After uh, after we had heard the screams, the one night we had gotten down to our hunting property late, and my son had uh, and we this was turkey season. We we're gonna go turkey hunting, and he had installed mm-hmm. this uh, sight on his gun. He wanted to shoot it, so we turned the headlights on the truck and on target, put the target up, and he shot it. And as soon as, you know, the echo of the gun stopped, we started hearing the screams and the wood, the wood tapping started like you're talking about. We heard it several times back and forth, uh, just mm-hmm. big, large whacks, two or three of them. And then we'd hear it somewhere else, too. And I have heard those all the way up until this year down on that particular property. They do that quite a bit now down there. Well, they, they could be warning the other ones that you're around, maybe, or that you're armed. or, or, or Oh, they know reason. that I'm armed. We've progressed so far through this thing into, you know, actual sightings. And that's where things are, have gotten really good, you know. I don't know if you want me to just tell my story straight out or you want to have questions up at this point. No, go go right ahead. You know, if you could share it with us, you know, we'd appreciate that. Go for it, Keith. This is fascinating. I am in my element. Okay. As uh, as things turned out, we moved to another tract of property, like a, about half of the distance of driving. It was on a, a property very close to the Chattahoochee River here in Georgia, uh, which now I know is long known for Bigfoot sightings up and down that river. So after we moved into this camp, and like I told you, I, I, I looked for any kind of sign because I didn't want to be on property because I was afraid of uh, didn't see any prop any any signs on the property. My wife and I were down and camping one night. I had a really fun day camping, and uh, I don't even think we were hunting that weekend. I think we just went down to camp. Uh, we were laying in the camper, and I heard audible talking outside the camper. Couldn't make out what the what the person or the as it turns out now I think it was a Bigfoot was making, but it was gibberish. It was loud, it was deep, and they were doing it loud enough to where I could hear them. And I had been doing research 
a little bit uh, along and had run across Ron Moorhead's Sierra Sounds. And in some of that, there's some actual language that's been discovered by Scott Nelson, another friend of mine here. And they were making those sounds. It was like they were gibberish talking, but they were making a sound that to me sounded like talking outside the camper. And as soon as I heard it, and I, I, my mind went straight away to listen to Ron Moorhead's tape of the Sierra Sounds, and I told my wife, I think there's Bigfoots out there. She said, mm-hmm. really? I said, yeah, I can, you hear that? She said, yeah, I can hear it. It's, not, it's just right outside. I tried looking out the window. I didn't see anything, but we could hear the, the back and forth, you know, between a couple of them. So and that set in motion things that really escalated to, to my wife's visual and um, and that's where I'll take you now. After after we heard that, um, I started finding some of those signs again. Bent over trees, found broke trees. Um, I didn't find any footprints, but I was just finding some of the same things that I'd seen on the other property. So at this point in time, I'm on Facebook a lot, and I have met a couple of friends. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with Melba Ketchum and her DNA study. Yes, yes, I am. Yeah. So I had become friends with her on Facebook, and this was in the midst of her study. And we were talking one night, and she, you know, all the things that you have going on, I really think you have some great activity. I want you to, I want you to seek out this lady. She's the real deal. You need to talk to her about what you need to do next and how, because I'm wanting to find out at this point in time as much as I can about them. But I also want to know if I can't find a property that they're not on, what do I do to not be afraid? You know, are they going to hurt me? So she gave me the name of a lady called Arla Williams. Her name's Arla Williams. And I also was introduced to Tom Cantrell, a a lady, uh, Autumn Williams. I I don't know if you're familiar with her. She had a TV program here. So I began talking to them and they were really helping me out with a lot of my questions and, and helping me understand some things. Autumn Williams called me one day and we chatted for over an hour about everything that was going on and she gave me some good tips. So I started trying to follow the leads of, of these these people. Arla had told me they're not there to hurt you. You know, they're another type of people. She said, what you need to do, start communicating with them, start telling them, you know, just walk out in the woods and say who you are and you're not there to hurt anybody. Uh, you just want to be friends. And she said, just start it out that way. And she said, stay at it and see where that goes. And so we started doing that. Uh, my wife and I would, would go out and it felt a little strange at first to go out and start mm-hmm. talking to the woods, not seeing anything. But, but we did what she said. And what started happening was we started having things like gifting. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but yes, yes. a little table outside our camper. And there was one afternoon I was coming in and my wife had been in the camper taking a nap. And there was a rock with a feather on top. Uh, there was a feather underneath the rock. Uh, somebody had taken that feather. And I mean, it, you're not going to find a feather under a rock laying somewhere like that. And I'm thinking, is this? Because she had mentioned that to me, that they would do things like this. And I'm thinking, now that's pretty wild. And so we took photos. I wrote all that down. Uh, and this became more and more. We started seeing these. Uh, we would find leaves arranged in a certain way mm-hmm. under a stick on the table or something like that. And, you know, just different things. So we started putting out little things, too, to give back. And then now I'm doing everything that I'm, I'm being told by Arla. And so there was this one evening we had taken our grandson, uh, grandson down there and we're sitting around the fire talking and you could hear sticks breaking out close to our mm-hmm. camp. So I was pretty aware there was something around. Uh, even seeing the occasional limb move. So 
we tried to be friendly. I, I talked just like they were standing there. So after all that, we, you know, we didn't hear anything for, for an hour. So we went to bed. Well, the very next day, I, I rode out uh, on my ATV over to a section of our property. And right around the corner from our camp, there was a big pine tree. It was about 50, 60 feet high that had been bent all the way over. Whatever had, I guess they climbed the tree and pulled it over somehow. There was a dead tree that was dragged about 20 feet from where it originally was. It was placed on the top of the tree, so it was perfectly bent over. We will be right back after these important messages. Hi there, my name is Claire Waters, and I would like to invite you on an incredible journey. I have written a book based on my personal experiences called Raising Faith, a true story of raising a child psychic medium. It's my family's extraordinary experiences with our young daughter's ability to communicate with spirits and the inspirational lessons learned on our journey. Raising Faith is currently available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kindle, and wherever books are sold. Join me on this beautiful and incredible adventure. For more information on Raising Faith, visit my website, raisingfaith.co.uk, or my Facebook page, Raising Faith Book. See you there. Sixth Books will take you to other worlds, haunt you, open your mind, and push you far beyond the veil of the unknown. Sixth Books is a leading publisher of books on the body, mind, and spirit, the paranormal, consciousness, ancient wisdom, and the afterlife. Explore today, learn today, open your mind today, read today. Visit sixth-books.com today. The world as you know it is about to change. Do you wish for more paranormal and spiritual content? The Paranormal Chronicles magazine is a free digital magazine crammed with the very best in paranormal and spiritual articles and features. No sign-up, no subscription, just free reading and knowledge for you. Read today at www.theparanormalchronicles.com forward slash magazine. The International Chart Topping Haunted Horror of Haverford West has been described as terrifyingly real a must read shocking and chilling brilliance genuinely worrying utterly frightening don't read before bed described as one of the spookiest writers out there best-selling author gl davies presents haunted horror of haverford west the true paranormal account that is shocking the world dare you enter dare you read haunted Horror of Haverford West is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kindle, and wherever books are sold. Pray you never have to live there. Uh, with this tree laying on it, and I'm like, that just fascinated me. You know, that was uh, another moment that I'll never forget. Uh, and these are heavy trees, right? They're not just... Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the tree that he, dra that he dragged oh. over was... There's no way I could have drunk it. It was about a 10 or 12 foot section. I don't know. I couldn't reach around it. It was that big. And it laid so you would need equipment in there to drag it or pick it up. And yes, exactly. At least some, uh, something, a cherry right. picker or something. That's right. So, you know, we thought that pretty, pretty strange. Well, the very next day after I found that tree, I was going down to another section of our property. Uh, this was during turkey season and I was going to, I was going to do some turkey hunting that day. And I had set up my decoys, and I was sitting on the edge of a field, and I started hearing this weird 
bird whistling. Just very agitated, loud, and it was obnoxious. It was one of those things that was just getting, it was driving me crazy to hear it. it was getting loud and it was bugging me. It went on for like 30 minutes and I finally got tired of hearing it. I'm thinking it's a bird. So I, I get mm-hmm. my deep voice. I walk toward the sound and the sound stops. So I, I look around. I don't see anything. I dropped my decoys. I had my chair. I just set my chair up and sat back down and just started thinking about, you know, what was making that weird noise and how come I, I didn't see what, you know, I didn't see anything run or fly off. Well, the sound started again, and this time it was on the other side of me toward a little hill alongside a road roadbed. So again, I stand up, I walk over to where I'm hearing these noises, and I walk over the hill, and there in the roadway, or right on the side of the roadway, is this huge stack of rocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the rocks, um, the one on the bottom, it had to be well over 100, 200 pounds. It was huge. I couldn't pick it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was other rocks stacked on top of it, and balanced to the point I'm like, wow. Now, that don't happen naturally. Mm-hmm. That that had just happened that i'd been up and down that road the day before it wasn't there and i saw did, that did you get a photo of it oh i did i, I do have okay. that photo. okay and i'll send you guys some of this stuff through uh through some emails oh great I, appreciate that yeah yes sir Absolutely. Um, so i got a, a photo of that i took my wife and uh, we took a grandson lane down there and took some pictures of it and that became became our new gifting spot we would drive down and watermelon and stuff like that there and almost every time that we would take something over there, it would, it would be gone when we'd go back. Um, and then there was this one particular day that we decided to do apples instead. And this this particular day, so next weekend, I think it was, our other grandson, Hunter, was with us. And we took uh, a bag of apples. There were seven apples in the bag. And we drove over to where the, the big pine that's pinned to the ground, we drove over there. It's not far from camp. And there was a tree that they had pushed over since that was just broken off, was leaning kind of at a slant, but it was it was fairly level, but it was slanted a little bit. And I told Hunter, I said, why don't you put those apples, just set them there on that tree, um, and let's see what happens. So he takes the apples out. He's got the, he puts the first, second, third one up, the fourth one. Well, the fifth apple, uh, he was having a hard time keeping it on, keeping it on the tree, and it kept mm-hmm. rolling off. So finally, he decides... Uh, that's not going to stay there. And I said, I'll tell you what, see that stump? There's a stump over there. Just take those other apples and put them on the stump. So he did. So there was, uh, he had gotten five on the tree. So the mm-hmm. other two apples he put on the stump. So he puts them on the stump. And this was during the evening, uh, about an hour before dark. We go back to camp. We grill out. We do, you know, do our camping stuff. So we go to bed. The next morning, they're still asleep. I decided I want to ride over and look at these mm-hmm. apples are asleep. So I did, and I got over there, and I noticed there was only one apple on the stump. So I'm thinking, okay, uh, deer or coot raccoon or something like that took that yeah. apple. Then I looked over at the tree, and there was there was there were six apples on the tree. There was only five. Mm-hmm. Wow! So they had taken the other apple and put yeah. it on the tree. He managed and to put it on the tree. Yeah. yeah, and immediately when that happened, I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if they were watching him try mm-hmm. to put that apple. There and it kept falling off, so they were showing him. That was my thought too. Yeah, so it was cool things like that that would start happening. And and as I'm talking to Arlen, we're getting more involved in trying to talk to them and be friendly and gifting them. My whole perception of them changed from being afraid to being delighted when something would happen. It would be so fun. 
so I'm starting to get pretty excited about the chances of me actually seeing one. Mm-hmm. Uh, although it hadn't happened yet, I had did catch a couple glimpses on our property of something moving through the woods, but I'd never seen exactly what it was. We'll go past uh, this particular weekend. We'll fast forward about another three weeks. Uh, toward the end of the season, we're down at our property, and we had taken Lane, one of our other grandkids, back down there with us. And he camps, and we go out, we do our gifting and that. Um, and we're uh, the, the next morning after we did our gifting, his mom don't live too far away, so she's going to come by and pick him up at camp and take him home. Uh, so she drives into camp, and she gets out, and we talk. And Lane gets in the car and buckles up. He's getting ready to go home with his mom. And my wife talking to her daughter, Amanda, and she's talking, and, and I'm just standing beside the car listening to the conversation with my back to the woods and kind of propped up on the car, and my wife's facing the woods. And as she's talking to her daughter, she stops in mid-sentence, and I notice her looking through the woods, but she doesn't say anything. Amanda don't say anything, and she looked back at Amanda and said, well, you know, I, I think I'm going to go in. I don't feel too good. I'm going to take something you know, for a headache. And, and I could tell that her, her whole mood and, had changed. And I'm like, I wonder what's going on with her. And I didn't, didn't say anything. Amanda hugged her goodbye. And she drove off. And as soon as Amanda drove off, she runs over, grabs me by the arm. She said, I just saw one. I said, saw what? She said, I just saw a Bigfoot. She said, I just seen one. He poked his head around a tree and looked at me. Uh-huh. And I'm like, really? So she takes me over. And it's only right across from where we were standing. I'd say 20, 25 feet. Uh-huh. So there's a big tree there. And uh, I look around, there's nothing there. But she said that she had looked over and saw something move. And the next thing she knew, this thing was looking at her and mm-hmm. it smiled. She, could, she said, I could oh. see it so clearly. She said, the eyes, everything. So she's describing it to me and she's all excited and I'm all excited. And enough around the bottom of that tree, you could tell something that had been standing there beyond uh-huh. on the tree. So I'm like, we both go in the camper, we sit down, and we talk about this for the rest of the day. It was one of those things that completely just changed my whole perspective. When I mm-hmm. seen her reaction to him, and she wasn't afraid, and her saying that she, she didn't feel afraid because it smiled at her. I'm thinking, this is pretty cool. This is, yeah. this is not these big hairy monsters. These are not the beasts that people tell us about, you know, on the movies and mm-hmm. on TV. These things are... are you know, can be very friendly. Uh, so, yeah, that that settled me point that this is going to be something that I'm going to be trying to pursue the rest of my life. I want to find out more about them. I want to know more about them. So that really, that particular day, my wife and I both got extremely interested in doing mm-hmm. research anytime we could. Uh, we started going to, uh, we went to a conference back in 2010, uh, went to a conference and then we went to Alex uh, Midnight Walker here in Georgia had a conference in 2012. We went there and got to hear great speakers like Ron Moorhead, Scott Nelson, got to meet yeah. a bunch of really cool people and really started getting interested and in, involved in the Bigfoot community, uh, so to speak. And since I became a part of that community and started meeting people in that, um, I've learned that there's two sides of the community. There's <laughs> There's some yeah. really mean people out there, and there's some really, really cool, uh, good people that have a lot of really nice things to share. So my next few years after that, I've been dedicated 
through meeting as many of these people as I can. I started actually um, mm -hmm. going out and, and investigating. I'd have people call me. I'd run a couple of, uh, uh, there's a local internet group here in the county that I live in that's just like a community top page. I put on there one day, has anybody ever seen a Bigfoot uh, in this area or whatever? Of course, I got a lot of, got a lot of crazy emails and all that people laughing and stuff, but I also got some really good ones. So I went out and started doing some investigations and uncovered yeah. some cool things. So that's kind of how everything started. Now, once my wife had the sighting um, and we really started getting into it, Arla Williams and I decided that she wants to come to Georgia. She wants to, and she lives in Oklahoma, quite a, mm -hmm. quite a, distance from here so she decides she wants to come to georgia and we're going to try to do a camp out which is you know i'm all for it i want her to show me how she communicates now arla she grew up when she was uh, six years old she's seen her first bigfoot uh she's got some native american blood in her her grandmother was native american and she taught her uh after she had seen one when she was six years old to go and get your own answers find out what they are who they are herself mm -hmm. she's had interaction for many years and so she had a lot of super good advice and i wanted to know how she could have you know interactions the way she does and she sees them quite often so when she came to georgia it was a big uh, big thrill we got to meet her when she did the conference here and so the next year we we decided to try to do this camp out thing so we put together a group on facebook we invited a few researcher friends we found an area, my wife and I did, uh, driving around uh, that had some history, found an area to have the camp out, and we started having the camp out there, and it's, it's mm -hmm. along the uh, edge of the Chattahoochee River, and an old Indian res re uh, reservation was there for years ago, and once we uh, we started doing the camp outs, that has been extraordinary, and that's led up to a lot of the things in my book. So before I go any f further, do you guys have any questions? So all this is covered in your book, it just camp out and everything and did you did you get the opportunity to record any of these sounds keith i never got into doing the recording thing because i wasn't mm -hmm. trying to prove it to anyone except for myself but i did own a digital recorder uh i tried to set the court recorder out but i would never have it on when they were making the noises and i never could really figure out how to do that however we started having the camp outs i've had some of the guys there that are a lot better at audio than i am uh record some sounds and we do have some recordings from our campouts, yes. Oh, okay. And, and could you give us an example of what, you know, you all did the gifting, you all would give them fruit, apples, and what, what would they leave? What would they do in return? Almost every time they would either leave a feather of some sort mm -hmm. or they would leave a, um, a really pretty leaf uh, of, some, of something like that. It was almost everything that was organic. It was never, they never brought us anything. I guess they don't have a big shopping area. Really, so. <laughs> no. Uh, whatever. Well, no, no, we you have, wouldn't expect that. No. <laughs> we've had some had some quartz like rocks left too. Yeah. Evidently, the quartz thing is something big with them, and I don't know what it is, but that's happened a few times with quartz. You know, when 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 this bigfoot peeked around the corner and you smiled at your wife, could she describe what it looked like? Was it more human or more ape-like? No, she, she said that the sense that she got was it was a very hairy man. She said, I didn't see. She described it. She said it did have a, a point on, on top of its head that she, it was noticed. She said the brow ridge was very heavy. That it was kind of like what you would think a caveman would look like with a little more hair and a pointy head described. The hair was a dark color, blackish or dark, dark brown or blackish color. There was a little bit of hair 
along the edges of his face. Cheekbones were, were bare. They didn't have any hair on the cheekbones. Uh, and it had like a very heavy bearded mustache that hanged down probably, you know, eight or ten inches. She said it was really hairy that way, yeah. More, more on the human side then. Yes, the yes. And that was the sense that she had with the expression that he had on his face. Right. Uh, and it really made her feel good and not afraid. She wasn't afraid mm-hmm. of it at all. The dull things that's happened. We get a lot better. Dave introduced me to a book, Forest Friends of the Night, and I think it's the best book I think I've ever read on the Bigfoot subject. It is absolutely superb. And it's got so much more information that we won't be releasing in this recording. So where can people get Forest Friends of the Night from? That is available on uh, almost any of the internet uh, book sites, uh, Amazon.com. And you can also read the reviews there. Um, is the one that I would suggest, and you can also get it at barnesandnoble.com. You can also go into Barnes & Noble in the bookstore and order it. They can, they'll ship it to the store, and you can pick it up there. But those are the easiest places to find. Now, I have sold quite a few in the U.K., and I know there's several uh, other options there in the U.K. as well. Well, like I said, I, I try to document as much as I can because for me and the job that I had for the last 24 years is a root cause analysis documentation and that's how i'm trained uh, it's a scientific process that i go through trying to prove or disprove anything yes. so i've tried to be as accurate as i could in the in the details that i logged down and when something happens if you write it down right away you, you tend to not lose some of the things that you know that happen but yeah that's uh, i appreciate that that's it was it was fun writing the book it didn't take that long to do it because i've had everything written down a lot of the book I've taken pretty much just right out of my journal, even though I did post some of the journal there for almost verbatim. I took most everything out of that journal, copy and paste a lot. So there's a few grammar issues there, but I'm not a professional writer. I was just trying to be accurate. But yeah, what's happened up to this point uh, has been pretty fascinating. But my life and a lot of other people's lives are going to start. I've seen some life altering change of some people that's been with us. When Arla came to Georgia and we started our campouts, my wife and I had found the place that I just told you about. And so we, we launched this group site on on uh, Facebook and we pulled in our closest friends. Uh, Arla came down. You know, I had people flying in from Colorado, some from the uh, uh, Bigfoot researchers groups out that way, mm-hmm. uh, the Colorado Rocky Mountains, uh, Washington State. And if you see the map of the United States, it's completely far corner of the United States from Georgia. So I had people flying in from there, uh, Texas, Oklahoma. We had a pretty big contingent of some of the best researchers that, that you'll ever know that came in. And we uh, began our campouts uh, back in 2012. Uh, the campouts started and were a huge success, number one. And I'll have to tell you about how we discovered this place because this is a fascinating story. Oh, please do. My wife and I drove out to the area that we were talking or thinking about, and I had talked to Arla about to do a little uh, more, you know, walking around, see if we could get some photos of tracks or anything like that, see how much sign that we could uh, could see. We arrived there about 4 o'clock in the evening on a Saturday, and we had about three hours until it started to get dark. As soon as we pulled up, opened the door of the car, and I smell a stench. The stench is so bad that it smells like something rotting or rotted. And so I'm like, okay, I'd heard that these things could smell like that, but just in mm-hmm. case, we'd pull into a campsite. I went to every trash can around the campsite, 
within an area of about, you know, a quarter of a mile and checked them. There was mm-hmm. nothing in any of the cans that was that was creating that smell. And there was a little steady breeze blowing from the woods to us. So to me, that smell and being a hunter, the smell was coming from that wood line. So mm-hmm. I walked over there. I didn't see anything dead laying around. So um, after a, about an hour's worth of looking around, we decided that whatever it is, it's not anything we're going to be able to find because, you know, We've looked over pretty good the area, so I'm thinking it could be you know, attributed to the Bigfoot. I'd never smelled them before, so this was new for me. After that, we there's several trails on that uh, property, and we, we picked a trail that ran along. There was one trail that ran along the bottom of a creek, and there was an upper trail that was along the ridge line above the creek. So we decided we'd walk the ridge line trail, the one on the top, because uh, I think we could see better. We could see you know the area a lot better. Uh, so we do. We, we start walking that trail. Uh, the wind's blowing from the creek is on my right. The breeze is blowing from the creek towards us, you know, kind of a crosswind. And as we're walking down the trail, the, the smell comes back and we're smelling it again. And I'm like, OK, if that is the Bigfoot people that we're smelling, um, they're over on that trail that runs along the creek because you know, that's where the, the wind's blowing from. We walked that ridge line, and one of the things we found immediately was a very huge X made out of tr- uh, two dead trees. Uh, I don't know. They were probably 20 feet high, and they formed a, a perfect X there on the trail. And I'm pointing that out to my wife, and we found trees that had been bent all the way over, just like I described before. There was one that was about 10 feet high that was bent all the way over and shoved down into the ground, uh, and it was just a perfect bow tree and so we're taking photos of those and we're walking down the trail and what stays with us well we hear this sound of something running up the hill in front of us uh, and it's coming pretty close to it's going to pop out right there in front of us i don't know what's about to pop out of the trail and we look up and it's a deer the deer is running from that creek bottom where it was to the right of us as we're walking down and it blows across the trail just wide open it was running really really fast and you could tell it was spooked Something had scared it, and I told my wife, that's pretty unusual for a deer to run like that, because normally a deer, you know, they'll just try to sneak away. If, you know, you're coming, they see you coming, they'll just sneak away. You won't even know they're around. So that was pretty odd behavior, I thought. Finished up that walk along that trail, um, and we still had about uh, an hour before dark, and I told my wife, I I, want to go back down to that bottom trail. If the Bigfoots were along that bottom trail, along the sandy part of that trail. We might be able to find some tracks or whatever. Mm-hmm. We turned around. We walked back down where we came in because you couldn't go down that hill. It was really steep. We entered the uh, the bottom trail next to the creek. We walked that trail about 200, 200 maybe 250 yards, um, and we found some of the best tracks I've ever seen, impressions in the sand. Uh, there were, and I've got photos I can send you these two. Uh, there was, a, a oh, one yes, track, there was one track that was, uh, I don't know, probably 12, 14 inches. Uh, wasn't super huge, but it was pretty big. It was barefoot. And you got to remember this is in the closer to the winter time. And I don't think anybody would be walking through the woods barefoot. This is a horse trail. So we found it was extremely fresh. It hadn't been made long. And then there was a little bitty track. It was only about four inches long. And my wife took pictures of that one. She was like, oh, look, it's a little bitty one. <laughs> so she gets mm-hmm. off, you know, looking at that thing. And uh, I decided to try to 
do the uh, stride from track to track. And so I, I stood beside the one track, the right foot, and I had to jump to the left foot, and I couldn't even get the distance. I couldn't make it. It was still another couple feet in front of me. I couldn't clear that distance in a running, uh, jumping stride. It was a big stride. So we took those photos, and you know we're looking at them, and we're pretty excited about how fresh these tracks are. We go back to where we parked, and I wanted to sit out, just let it get dark, and see what, what happened. Got our lounge chairs out. We sat down. And almost immediately, we hear walking in the woods. Uh, coming from that trail, uh, whatever it was, cross the road, because you could hear it get close to the road. When they got over into the, the strip of woods in front of us, we were sitting there, and all of a sudden, this stick comes flying out of the woods, and it lands at my feet. And I'm looking at the stick, and I'm like, they're throwing sticks at me. <laughs> the whole time we sat there, they're tossing pebbles and sticks yeah. that are landing all around me, and they're not throwing any at her. I mean, she's sitting like 10 feet away, and she's laughing because they're throwing everything at me. And I found that humorous. I laughed about it because I'm, I know they're, they're messing with me now. So that actually gave me a really good feeling because I think if they would have wanted to hurt me or hit me with a rock, they would have. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so we had that going on. So as it got a little darker and they stopped throwing the sticks, uh, we were going to go ahead and call it a night and drive back home. We were only about an hour away. So we drive home, and we're super excited and stoked about what we've seen and everything that happened. So I immediately get on the phone. I call Arla, and I, I tell her, I say, hey, this is the place. We're going to have fun here. And I explained to her all the things that went on. So uh, that started our campouts. Moving on toward, uh, this was in the early spring, moving on toward October. We decided to have the campout starting in October. Uh, so we had the date set. Uh, everybody started arriving to camp out, picking up some folks from the airports, bringing them in and setting up camp and all that. Get everything set up uh, one afternoon, and our first annual camp out begins. And, and we've been doing it every year since. And we actually just put on another one. We're doing two a year now. There's so many people wants to come. And we mm -hmm. try to bring the people that we know um, are in it for the right reasons. And I'm not one that wants to kill a Bigfoot or, or a Sasquatch because – my whole thing now is I know there are people, and the more research I've done, the more that I've been shown that mm -hmm. uh, by them. Uh, so I just want to have the experiences, and I want to share my experiences with anybody that, that I think uh, is in it for the right reason. Again, that's one Absolutely. of the reasons about the book, is to kind of give that, that perspective, my perspective on what I've seen and try to get rid of that, uh, that stereotype that they're all monsters because I don't believe that. Now, do I think right, there could right. be some that would hurt you? Absolutely, I do. Um, but it's the same thing as if if you break into someone's home with a gun, expect yeah. that if they've got a gun or they're, they're able to get some, they're going to shoot back. That's the same thing I feel about about them. You know, we're encroaching onto their, their woods, you know, their yes. partners. And if you go in looking to hurt them, Sure, that could be, you know, that could be pretty dangerous. Well, sure, of course. And I'm sure just like if they're closer to human, they probably all have different personalities, different likes, dislikes, and, and that's just like what, anybody else. Yes, sir. And that's exactly what I found out. Now, going back to the camp out, the camp out starts in October. Uh, everybody, the very first night, uh, we're camping. And, and I'm not camping out. Uh, I actually live pretty close, so I'm just driving there every day. So everybody goes to bed. Well, the next day I go there in the morning and everybody has <laughs> stories about, wow, they came into our camp last night. So I get to hear these stories about 
uh, about the Bigfoot people coming in and shaking the tents or poking through, you know, poking the tent and touching people on their cots. This one gentleman, well, Tom Cantrell was there. He had one look in his window at him while he was playing on his cot. So, yeah, they, it was pretty fascinating. They came in that close, but they were very playful that first mm-hmm. night. And everybody had experiences. And the whole group was just gibbering with excitement when I got there that morning, talking about all the cool things that they had had happen. And we had some uh, prints there in, in camp that we were able to get. One gentleman that does audio sat out. He was recorded mm-hmm. the very next night, and we got a really good audio that night. So well, we're when we start these things, we're gonna do uh, a couple of night walks. You know, take people. We'll go out at night. Uh, a mm-hmm. lot of people are exploring during the day, and you know, people come back with fascinating photos of all kinds of you know bent over trees and little structures they had found and that. So and it's really cool when you have that many investigators in an area because you can really understand what's going on a lot quicker. We're all pretty of uh, the same, pretty much the same mind as far as what we're doing. Uh, so this this was a fascinating couple of days. Uh, it led up to one of our night walks. During the night walk, on a, this was a Friday night, I took some people out to that same area there where we found the tracks on the trails, and we walked that bottom trail at night. You know, we just turn our flashlights on, and we move a little bit, turn the lights off, and we'd just stand there and would ask if there were any around and would make a noise or whatever. Well, the first night walk we did, and I had since I had bought a, uh, a para- parabolic microphones with a ear. Yes. Microphones. Mm-hmm. So I bought right. one of those things, and those things are great, by the way. If you you know if you want to go out here and night sounds. Immediately when we walk into the uh, to the area there where we're going into, there's a little bridge that you have to cross the creek that they built a footbridge there. So we cross the footbridge, and immediately I put the parabolic on. I had everybody stop, and you could hear two of these big, big Bigfoot moving on opposite hills. There's one to our right, one to our left, and they're moving down the hill. You can hear them walking. You hear the footsteps very clearly on the parabolic, and they would move very, very close to our group within, I'd say, 20 feet uh, into the brush. And as long as we stood there, they would stand there. They wouldn't make any sound other than we would hear them. We would start walking. They would start walking. It was almost like they were sentries, and they were escorting us into this area. Oh, wow. So I let uh, d- different people try the parabolic and hear them for themselves. That was a pretty cool when we were walking in. And then once we got in there a little ways, we'd seen these really bright lights got up on a hill, and I'm looking at the lights, and uh, what is that? You know, looking, and all of a sudden you see them blink, and it's like, two eyes and they're not that far away that's when i first started seeing what's called eye shine we've got to see it we heard it uh, walking we could see the the things and ever so often we'd hear a little stick whack a tree or two you know just a couple of taps not very loud yeah knew that they were going in with us and that was really cool and we had a lot of people got to participate in that that was a very fun fun first one yeah, and you're, um, you're planning some more of these in the future, these, more of these oh, campings yeah, yeah. that are on? And, we just finished one uh, for doing another one in October. I'll have a lot more people. I think Bob Gimlin, if you know Bob Gimlin, he's, I think he may come to this next one. with really good friends with him. Oh, so yeah. yeah, I just finished a, a conference. I've been doing conferences up in Washington State a few weeks back, and he, he and I talked about you know him coming out here, so we're going to try to do that. Now, these campouts, now that was the first one. We had a lot of cool things happen. Uh, but the next year, I had a buddy of mine, Jason, 
couple other guys uh, and their sons wanted to go out during the spring for a night walk. And I, you know, like, sure, we'll do that. So my wife and I showed up one Saturday. We grilled out steaks, and had a great time waiting for it to get dark. Um, and we decided we're going to go on a night walk. You know, just us, the boys, the, the younger ones didn't want to go. So my wife stayed in the camp with the, with those those boys, and the man decided we're going to go do this walk. So we jump in my truck, we pile in, all five of us. We drive down to the camp where I, I usually park my car going in or my truck, and there's some people camping down there. So, you know, I walk over, introduce myself, to, you know, wanted to make sure they knew I was just going to park here. We we're just going to walk back in the woods and that. Now, it's hard to explain to people what you're doing. Uh, you don't want to scare them, you know. So I'm, I'm just telling them we're going to go back and, you know, we like to hear night sounds and we record things, you know, like owls or whatever we hear, you know, we like to do that. So they, I, I don't know what they were thinking at that time, but the lady uh, that I was talking to, she says, well, when you're back there, I want you to look. I think there's a kid lost. She said, I tried to call the ranger and I've left a message. We keep hearing a baby crying back there she said, yeah, we've, we've heard it several times. Well, you remember the, the small footprints I told you we found. So I'm thinking immediately it's not a baby human it's that you're hearing. Yeah. But I didn't tell her. I didn't tell her anything. So I told her we would. We would definitely take time to look, and we would call out. So we go on this walk, um, and we start down that trail. And, of course, they pick us up on each side of the bridge and walking in with us. And we're walking down the trail. And this particular night felt very different felt like there was something energetic there was like a like an energy there there was something you could tell something was going to happen so as we're we're walking along we start getting these whistles back and forth the trail from one end to the other you know whistling whistling back and forth and it was so it was so unreal to hear it was like wow and you knew i mean we knew exactly what was doing the whistling so we're wondering okay what are they doing now are they just making sure that we're not going too far. Or they, I know they're keeping an eye on us. So we're standing in the trail uh, at this point, listening to the whistles back and forth. It stops, and uh, we see these two really bright lights on the hill. Now, these this is the hill that my wife and I was on the first. I'm thinking when I saw it immediately, I go, it's, that's a flashlight. Somebody's in. Yeah. Who's back here this, this far with a flashlight? Unless maybe there is a kid lost and somebody's looking for the kid. So I kind of yell out. Nothing happened. It's just standing there. Well, after about five minutes, those lights that were on the hill starts coming down the hill. And as it got closer, we could hear it walking on two legs. Bright white lights started getting smaller and a little dimmer, and to the point to where it looked like two pin lights that you would hold up side by side. It wasn't one, you know, one big bright light anymore. Bright lights. It was two little pin lights. And how far away do you think they were from you? When we first saw them, probably 100 yards. As it moved in closer and closer, it got to within 20 yards and stopped right across mm -hmm. the creek yeah. on a hillside. And when it got that close and we could hear the bipedal walking, we could tell most definitely that that light, those lights were eyes, bright, whitish yellow. They were side by side. They were stationary. And you could see every time he blinked. Was close enough that you could see him blink. There was the light on the eyes was bright enough to where there was a limb that covered part of his head. Step up and look over the limb, then he would look under the limb. And this was pretty significant because we went back wow. over the very next day and measured that limb, and the limb was ten and a half feet. So That's we know he, we know he was 
about ten and a half feet tall. Could, could you see an outline or anything of a figure, or just just the eyes? It it was just the eyes. It was so mm-hmm. dark that night. There was no moon, which you know a lot of people call it eye shine. Well, eye shine is something that's produced by light, and is the eye that shine it reflects back. This was not that. This was mm-hmm. making these eyes were making their own light. And this is the first time I've seen this to this. I've seen the, the eye shine before. But this was the first time I'd seen it like this. And this was mesmerizing. We all, wow. every one of us, the three of us were standing up front and the other two that was in the back, we were all watching it. And uh, Jason decides he's going to do what he thinks is a greeting grunt. So he does this grunt noise. And he had heard others do. They had said these Bigfoot make these greeting sounds. So he does a really gruff And as soon as he did that, immediately those eyes that were you know, bright whitish yellow, deep orange red, like you would put on the tail, you know, your brake lights uh, would pop up. That's how bright they were. Yeah. It could have been a mating call. I don't know what it was, but I started mm. apologizing. It, when that happened, the whole mood changed, and you could tell that he didn't like that noise at all. So I started oh, wow. apologizing. Like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry we did that. Please accept our apology because. I know this thing's pretty big just from where he's standing in that. Yeah. Probably thought it was a challenge of some sort. So he stood there after about a minute uh, after I apologized, and we all apologized that. His eyes slowly went back to that whitish color, and he simply turned his head and walked back over the hill. And, wow. and he was, that was it. And that was it, huh? Wow. And that's, a, that's just amazing, amazing stories. I'm sure you have, you probably have 100 amazing stories, Keith. <laughs> I've got some really good ones. <laughs> good ones. Um, yeah. How, how do people get a hold of you in case they want to? If they have more questions, is there any way they um, can get in contact with you? Sure, they can look me up on Facebook. I'm on there. Just explain where you uh, in a PM who you are. If you heard the show and you want to talk to me, explain that there. I've got a big following there now. So uh, yeah, just PM me and let me know because I'm trying to weed through a few. I get some crazy. Right. I'm sure. Yeah. So. I'd be more than happy to, to try to help anybody out or talk to them. Well, that's, that's fantastic. We'd love to have you on again in the future, you know, continue Absolutely. your stories and, and, uh, you know, they're, they're fascinating. Cause I haven't even gotten to the really good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so there we have it. An incredible eyewitness account of an amazing creature. Let us know what you thought. I like Keith's pro-life message there at the end. Forest Friends Are the Night by Keith Bearden is available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And I cannot tell you enough how great it is, so go on and have a read. My dear friend Dave Dominguez has a great episode on this series asking how old humankind is really and had we already been to the moon. So if a listen, go check it out. Our free digital magazine, the Paranormal Chronicles magazine, has many articles on the Bigfoot enigma, as well as dozens on cryptids, ghosts, UFOs, hauntings, spirituality, life after death, past lives, and so much more. So read your free digital magazine today at www.theparanormalchronicles.com forward slash magazine. It's free, no sign up, no subscription, no nonsense, just free reading for you. So head over to www.theparanormalchronicles.com forward slash magazine don't forget to follow our series for your chance to win amazing books in our monthly followers draw it takes a second to follow and every month you could win a book so press follow now it's crazy not to i'm gonna leave you with this it's lyrics from the bro smith bigfoot song i think it's kind of apt for our discussion with keith and dave tonight when the moon hangs high 
on the breast of the lake, and the bite of the wind is like a slap in the face. A giant of a creature, all covered in hair, he's as tall as timber and strong as a beet. For hundreds of years, the legend has grown about this big hairy man that walks all alone, a mountain monster ten feet tall called Bigfoot. Sleep well. <laughs>